Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and we're back with another episode for you. I'm excited to uh, have a full house for you tonight. All our regular folks are back, and it's good to have everybody here together all at, all at one time, which is it's doesn't happen all that frequently. Everybody's got a lot going on right now. So uh, I'll kick things off by handing it over to Sam, and she can bring the rest of the group in. Absolutely. Well, it's a good night to have all of our meteorologists here. We have the D-Pod winds. We have Kyle, the meteorological Sasquatch, but he's here with us. And even Dr. Joe's been kind of a Sasquatch lately. He's been busy with 120 other weather squatch. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Um, (laughs) Joe's, as usual, is busy with 110 projects. So um, we're good to have everybody here. I'm excited about everybody here, especially since we're going to talk about weather in general. Um, we were talking last time. Well, we actually recently talked to my friend Gary, who was on IDMC with me doing um, humanitarian aid stuff and talked about being a storm chaser. And Becky was with us. I think she had fun with that. I didn't realize that she had done some storm chasing so that's a fun episode but if you're not looking to chase them and just want to run away from them or at least prepare from them that's what we're going to talk about so i'll just say hi to everybody hi bex hello hello that was a fun episode i I, yeah haven't chased in a long time but it was fun to talk about it (laughs) well it was fun that we learned that about you so when you live in kansas and you're a meteorologist (laughs) You storm chase. <laughs> Dan forgot where his mute button is. Second. Good to be here again tonight. And I think we've got certainly a lot of topics to, to cover. Um, a lot of interesting things in the weather and weather-related items. And uh, heading into the summer here, first first full weekend of, the, uh, of summer. So a lot of uh, summer weather phenomenon to talk about, I'm sure. You bet. And we're going to let you start off with that in a minute. And Kyle. The Weather Squatch. I got it right now. Hi, Kyle. Hey, Sam, and hello, everyone out there in disaster podcast land. Glad to be back with you. And Joe, Dr. Joe. Hey, everybody. Long time, but uh, glad to be back finally. The busiest man in the world. (laughs) Sometimes. So, Dan, talk about what has been going on recently. Um, we'll touch on the things that probably will be going on, but certainly there has been stuff happening. So if you can enlighten us. Yeah, yeah I mean, we, we've been we've had a very quiet start of the tropical season or the hurricane, the Atlantic hurricane season, one named storm so far. We can get to that in a bit. But the uh, of late, I think one of the more interesting Things in the weather that occurred just uh, yesterday, Wednesday of this week, and uh, even a bit into Thursday, we had a pretty impressive uh, storm that moved uh, through California into Nevada, Arizona, that brought a ton of lightning. I think it was over 66,000 lightning strikes in the California area on Wednesday, which was um, the busy, it was the most active lightning day since 2015 or, yeah, 2017, I think, or something around that time period. And it was one of the top five most active days of lightning out west. We, I think we were fairly fortunate where we so far haven't seen a lot of new fire starts from that. Um, but one of the things that we've been thinking about uh, at AccuWeather recently is that even if you get a lightning strike out there from that event, say yesterday or today, sometimes you can get something smoldering for a couple days and then you get a gust of wind to pick it up 
and it can spread after that. So we'll see if we get anything the next few days. Uh, so far, it looks like we haven't, we, we've sort of lucked out, but it was an amazing display of lightning. Um, and we're fortunate that it seems like not a huge wildfire uh, threat so far, but we're just very early on in that season out west. So a long way to go, unfortunately, there. Yeah. And uh, I work some of those lightning storms in California and, and it's just crazy because they just keep coming. Jamie, you had a question. Yeah, I'm just out of curiosity, Dan, and I don't even know if you know the answer to this, but how do they track that many lightning strikes? I mean, is there is there technology out there that actually like looks at the electrical surge or something? Yeah, there's a couple of different networks. Uh, I'm I'm certainly not a uh, lightning detection expert. Um, if Kyle or Becky have any uh, further ideas, happy to hear their thoughts on it too. Um, but there's a couple of different companies. Uh, Earth Networks is one. Vaisala is another one, and they have different lightning lightning detection sensors that they uh, use. And the science behind it, I I don't know myself, but they detect lightning strikes both in cloud lightning strikes as well as cloud to ground lightning strikes and cloud-to-cloud lightning strikes. And um, they then track those and report on them. And um, they have data going back many years. Uh, Vaisal has been around for a long time, so they have a lot of data on lightning strikes. And they can go back and look to see how this compares. So there's a lot of really interesting lightning science um, that maybe is an interesting topic for a future podcast. Yeah, that would be a good one. Um, Joe brought up something that is another huge issue right now, and it's somewhat weather-related. Um, and that's the state of water. And he just mentioned uh, Lake Mead. Joe, do you want to touch on that? Yeah, I just saw some news today uh, about the the current uh, depth of Lake Mead, which is like, you know, you can almost walk across it now. <laughs> oh, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I mean, it's the largest reservoir in the country and it's it's nearing complete emptiness. Uh, with you know boats that have sunk in it exposed and all kinds of stuff so it, it the the weather issues particularly related to rainfall uh, obviously having a huge impact on um, not only the, the the water infrastructure itself um, but uh, the ability to fight fires and the, you know the dryness of the landscape and all that sort of stuff oh my yes um yeah, the whole water thing is scary. I listen to public radio, and they talk about that constantly. And, you know, st- states that, that share water with other states are starting to get greedy, mine being one of them. But, you know, I can't blame them, actually. Um, well, that comes, too, from heat, and we've had a lot of heat here. It was 91 again today. Is that going to continue to be the case, Dan? Yeah, I think the heat really, which is built across the uh, middle of the country, I mean, we've had temperatures in the hundreds in much of Texas for, um, it seems like the last several weeks at least. And I think the, the core of the heat probably stays over the Southern Plains. I do think, you know, down in, uh, or out in Colorado, Sam, I think you do get some reprieve as we head into the next, uh, like through the weekend into next week, we'll start to see some monsoon moisture now that we've got the, uh, summer southwestern monsoon here being active with uh, those afternoon evening thunderstorms especially in the uh, higher terrain um, we may see a bit of a break but overall i still think the the heat it continues in most of the south central and western part of the country and uh, obviously with those uh, afternoon evening thunderstorms which while it's good news in some spots and it'll take any moisture we can get um, lightning's obviously a threat and uh, 
flash flooding, especially in the burn scar areas, uh, is certainly something to, uh, to watch for if you're out in those regions uh, now through really early September is when we expect the, uh, yes, the peak of the monsoon season in the next couple months. Yeah, and we'll be touching on that too, on flooding. Um, Becky just posted a drought map link. That might be a good thing for Jamie to put up there because people need to know what's going on here with that and, and take steps to conserve. Um, I'm certainly concerned about it. So, you know, being as we're talking about heat, well, first, Becky, did you have anything else to add to the general picture here? I mean, not really, just that the, the drought monitor paints a pretty dire picture for a good portion of the West and particularly the Southwest. So, yeah, I think I just echo what you said, Sam, and conserving water and following any local guidance uh, around that. And there are more important things than a green lawn. Jamie, you have a question for Kyle? Yeah, I was curious, Kyle, because, I mean, I know, you know, the, the, the snowpack in the Rockies is, is responsible for storing a lot of that spring and summer moisture that, that trickles down into the uh, um, western states. Um, what was the situation with that this year in your region? Well, Jamie, across Colorado, we warmed up pretty quick this spring. And so we actually uh, lost a lot of our snowpack pretty early on, and we've been staying warm as well. And so even up uh, in, in the high country, there's um, usually, you know, we're we're not until you know late in late June, early July when we can drive to some of our mountaintop sites because uh, there's still snow on our access roads, um, even you know below 12,000 feet in elevation. But this year we were driving up to some of those sites. Uh, in late May or even early June, so a little bit sooner than we than we thought. So it was, uh, and we're also seeing the result of that as well. With now we get um, the, you know, we had the green up and everything's very lush out in the valleys, where at, at the uh, mountaintops where that snowmelt has run off very quickly as as compared to normal, we get a drying of fuels near uh, near mountaintops. So it's uh, really a, an interesting interesting start to to the spring and the summer. Uh, for wildfire season and things. But as Dan mentioned, right, we've got some monsoon moisture that's working its way in. But uh, it's unless the rain can actually reach all the way uh, down to the ground to the valley floors with that dry lightning that occurs without rain, it's a big problem for us. Yeah, this is sounding so dire already. I think I'm depressed <laughs> and we haven't even really gotten started. Well, let's talk about heat in general. Um I mean, there's some stuff seems obvious. Wear cool clothes. Don't leave your dog in the car. Don't leave your kid in the car. Uh, don't be outside if you don't have to. Um, it, you know, Joe, could you go over with us the, the common types of heat-related injuries? Well, happy to. Uh, I saw a lot of it this past weekend at the big air show where the heat index was 109 and uh, folks were out in the sun and weren't hydrating adequately and were hydrating with inappropriate things or at least too much of inappropriate things. So, uh, you know, we it's a whole spectrum of diseases and, and what we see is just sort of heat exhaustion initially, which is just uh, the, the, the body's uh, consumes an awful lot of resources trying to stay cool. Uh, so lots of sweating, you quickly get dehydrated. Um, obviously things like sunburn, all that sort of stuff, uh, are part of an issue with that as well. And that can progress to, 
uh, heat stroke uh, uh, or more severe heat illness where the body loses its ability to maintain its uh, cooling mechanisms. And that usually results in significant elevations in core temperature, uh, loss of the ability of the body to, to sweat very well. Uh, and obviously, uh, as core temperatures goes up, you get severe end organ damage and potentially leading to, to death at some point. Well, and is it not true, Joe, that, that older adults don't have the ability to to sweat for one thing or to be aware, have a thirst reflex like younger people do, those kinds of things that let them know that they're getting in the danger zone? I'm sorry, Sam, could you say that one more time? Well, I understand that, that older adults may not have the capacity, their bodies don't have the capacity to handle heat so much. They may not have the same thirst reflex as younger people and so forth and so on. So the suggestion being if you have older people in your family um, or neighbors you might want to check on, it, you know, this stuff can creep up on you without even realizing it. They can go into heat exhaustion or even heat stroke. Um, yeah, you're 100% correct. You know, heat illness is one of those things that uh, much like altitude and that sort of stuff, the body can acclimatize to, but needs some time to do so. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly requires us to be paying attention and working our way into those more and more challenging environments somewhat gradually and giving our bodies an opportunity to uh, adapt as we go. And I think a lot of the problem is folks with very little uh, reserve and with very little heat exposure uh, put themselves in those environments and can therefore very quickly get in trouble. Exactly. Jamie, question? Yeah, Joe, since you were talking about being at that air show and, and some of the things that happen in the summertime involve, you know, events and communities that happen in, in hot weather, um, what were some of the things you did to prepare your your um, emergency medical teams, um, both for the weather themselves and then to have the materials and tools they needed to uh, take care of the people that were coming to them? Uh, great question, Jamie. So, you know, apart from sort of personal protective equipment, uh, things like hats and uh, sunscreen and things like that, so that you you don't you don't take the brunt of that uh, yourself, we set up uh, sort of cooling stations that were just fans with misting uh, capability. We gave out an awful lot of uh, ice water soaked uh, towels and that kind of stuff for people to put around their necks and over their heads. Uh, lots of obviously aggressive hydration. And then uh, for the more severely affected folks, uh, a way to transport them uh, in a golf cart or similar uh, uh, ATV kind of thing with uh, the ability to blow some air on them and uh, mist some water on them so we could cool them down until we could get them to an air conditioned facility to provide more uh, aggressive care. And, and, you know, sometimes that means uh, cooled IV fluid and cool packs in uh, areas where the vasculature is close to the surface, like the axilla and the groin and that sort of stuff. Man, it's so early in the season and here we go. So Dan, I keep hearing that this hurricane season uh, is going to be worse than normal. Is this true? 
Yeah, Sam, I think most of the forecasts that are out there, they come out from a variety of different different groups. Um, a lot of private companies put out forecasts. Uh, you got the National Weather Service that issues their forecast. Colorado State probably is the might be the more, uh, I think, probably the most well-known one. Um, it's been issued for many years uh, out of the Colorado State University. Um, but most agree that it'll be a, above a, above normal season in terms of activity in the, in, in the Atlantic Basin. We actually, it's been a quiet start of the year. We've only had one named storm so far. Um, and uh, oh, don't, don't say quiet. Becky's telling me to, to, you know, to not say quiet. So my bad on that. Uh, but it's been a, <laughs> it's been a, uh, it's been a less active than uh, it. It's actually been a pretty normal start of the season, really, because we don't expect a lot of storms before the middle of July. And there's only been one named one. So that, that, that that's pretty typical. The last uh, several years have been pretty active early on, but I think, uh, I think we've got another week or two of not much activity before we start to see a, a ramp up in, in storms. And I think as we talk about, we we're just talking about heat and now we're, transitioning to, you know, to hurricanes and other threats in the summer. I think it's important to note, too, that heat kills way more people per year than hurricanes do. Not that hurricanes are not important to pay attention to. They certainly are. But I think sometimes we get sort of enamored with hurricanes and tornadoes and lightning. And when you look at the fatalities and the injuries, heat and, and then cold in the winter really are, the um, unfortunately, the uh, biggest uh, killers, really, when it comes to weather hazards and, and flooding as well. Um, so I think that's just interesting for us to keep in mind as we head into hurricane season and throughout the summer with the heat. Becky, I know you have some hurricane thoughts. Yeah, this is something we've seen after after several different storms. It happened in Florida after um, Irene, I want to say. It happened after um, Sandy, although that was more cold. But oftentimes, hurricanes obviously cause power outages. Um and if a hurricane is, is impacting, you know, a place like Florida, the Carolinas, anywhere in the southeast, and that hurricane is then followed by intense heat, you have all these people who do not have power, that they don't have that necessary infrastructure. Um, they're already in a vulnerable position because they've just been impacted by a hurricane. They may be displaced. They may be living in, in you know, temporary shelters that now, you know, don't have adequate cooling systems. Um and that can, I, there was a nursing home in Florida after, again, I think it was Irene. There's been so many storms that hit Florida in the past five years. Um, but they actually lost many residents due to the heat following the hurricane. They were fine, you know, with the initial impact and then unfortunately passed away because of, of heat-related illness. So that's just something that needs to be in your emergency plan. You need to have a generator. You need to have, you know, a, a potential uh, evacuation plan for vulnerable populations should the power go out for an extended period of time. Um, you just can't leave that kind of thing to, to chance uh, following a major event like a hurricane. Or get out of Dodge. You know, if, if you know one is coming, go somewhere else where, you know, air conditioning won't be an issue that the hurricane isn't likely to get you. Jamie? Yeah, and I actually continue on the heat discussion a little bit longer. Um, and Becky, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of pitch this to you, but I don't know, maybe Kyle or Dan might have something to add as well. Um, what is what is there in the messaging that could be either improved or has been improved to help people prepare for heat-related situations? Um, I know there's been a lot in the news about you know the heat dome and stuff like that, but how does how do uh, meteorologists and weather services send the messaging and get the word out to people to be adequately prepared? 
You know, I think oftentimes that messaging gets lost when it's in conjunction or following another major event, as Dan kind of alluded to, like hurricanes are sexy, for lack of a better word, whereas heat is not. Um, I, You know, I think the National Weather Service, I think private companies do a good job in trying to get that message out, trying to make it, you know, flashy with these these terms. Um, but I, it's, I think it's something that we still struggle with fully messaging. Um, you know, the Pacific Northwest and Southwestern Canada heat wave, um, almost exactly a year ago, actually worth over, you know, a couple thousand people passed away because they didn't have the infrastructure. Uh, and that, that shouldn't happen, you know, in today's world, but, you know, due to lack of infrastructure, lack of uh, ability to adequately plan, um, utility companies not being prepared, it's, it's a difficult thing to message. And frankly, we're not, we're not prepared from an, uh, an infrastructure and utility standpoint. Kyle, thoughts on that? No, I definitely agree uh, with Becky there, Sam. Right? It's it's there's many many factors that go into uh, the ultimate effect of a heat wave or a, a heat dome type event on on a population, right? And one of the, I think, the most important things that we d can do as as public information professionals, uh, as well as scientists, right, is sharing good information with the public. And, and if new information comes into the fray or there are corrections that are being talked about, right, implementing those as quickly as possible. I was very excited to see, and I'm sure our, uh, our good friend Seth Hawkins was as well, uh, to see a much more clinically accurate um, Orange Man graphic, uh, if you will, is the, is the name that this uh, individual has taken on uh, from the from the National Weather Service as well as the Center for Disease Control. Uh, their original graphic they put out, um, I think uh, Sacramento OES had uh, had a lot to do with this as well several years ago. One of the symptoms for heat stroke that was listed was was that someone had stopped sweating, right? And we know as the medical community for for years that that's not accurate, but that's what was being purported and saying no, right? Uh, now in altered mental status, that is the harbinger of of going from heat exhaustion to heat stroke and when we need to have those rapid interventions. So uh, I'm really glad to see that there's uh, good information being shared out. And uh, if you see uh, inaccurate information out there, don't be afraid to, to call it out and refer folks to uh, more accurate stuff, because if we can, in turn, right, take this and educate our, our friends, our family, and and the and our publics to to recognize the symptoms properly, we can then uh, we can then you know empower them with that knowledge and that information to act more effectively and to reach out to emergency services should they need them. Excellent, Kyle. Um, Bucky advises that the orange man, the accurate orange man, will be on the heat infographics part of weather.gov. And there's also a lot of other good information up there, too. But now, we're, as we're talking about communication, Becky, how can people use personal social media to let people know what's going on with them because that's always the biggest thing is oh my god they're in a flood zone or they're you know just had a heat emergency or the, a hurricane um oh you guys are putting links all over the place but i know facebook has a thing where you can just put yes i'm safe um what else is there out there how can we best use social media to communicate with our people 
Ooh, well, it certainly depends on the type of, of event that's ongoing. Um, obviously, Twitter can be a, a really great resource to data mine. Um, and Kyle could actually probably speak to that even better than I can at this point, because I know he's he's actively done, um, you know, Vost type information. But I, I think in terms of communicating you know, with family members after a disaster, text is usually going to be better. You might have a better chance of getting texts through. Um, usually a phone call may not go through if, you know, communication lines are down. Um, but I think really just sharing anecdotal information, anecdotal stories, things that have happened to you, personal experiences can go a long way in raising awareness for any topic. I don't know if that's exactly what you were getting at, Sam, but I, I think like hearing from somebody who, you know, went through a hurricane or, you know, suffered perhaps a heat related illness or know somebody that did like those kinds of stories can be really powerful and, and sharing that it's not just this thing that you hear about in the news, but that it, it actually happened to to someone, you know, or to yourself and, you know, sharing pictures and things like that um, can be really effective. It's, I guess, I don't say personifying, that's not quite the right, <laughs> the right phrase, but, you know, making things more realistic and easy to, easier to understand to the general public, I think. Well, it also gives the services that deal with a better idea of what's really going on and the extent of the emergency. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, Jamie, I would toss that to Kyle if he wants to speak on that. Yeah. Briefly, that's really valuable. What do you think, Kyle? Well, Sam, I think that it ultimately boils down to, right, and after, you know, in, in any time of, of disaster, even pre-disaster, you know, civilization holds, right? People, they move together, they work in groups, both in person and uh, increasingly so online. And disaster survivors, as, as a group in, a, in their local community, in their geographic area, instantly become members of a group, whether they want to be or not, right? Strangers aren't strangers anymore. And so to sort of, you know, get, get ahead of uh, some of these, these challenges that, that we've talked about or that you, you know, folks may have personally experienced, right? Getting, you know, one of the things that we, we always advocate for, right? Oh, you know, build a kit, have a plan. Well, yeah, that's great, but not everyone can prepare fully as an individual. You know, it's 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 not realistic to expect that to happen. And so getting to know your neighbors and your community pre-disaster can pay dividends down the road. Because if you know, oh, there's uh, this, you know, a, a woman around the corner, you know, she has a generator. And I know that, you know, maybe my neighbor down the street has a really cool, uh, you know, he, he's got a, a water storage and purification system, something like that, right? You can begin piecing together uh, within your local community uh, from from your from your local people, the resources that you can then use together to survive should a disaster occur and impact your community. Uh, again, talking about vulnerable populations, knowing uh, you know one of the the biggest campaigns, the most successful campaigns that have been run for uh, for preparedness have been you know just have you know, checking on your neighbors, right? Those you know those that are elderly, those that are are disadvantaged, right? Those that may be adversely affected by insert disaster here, right? Having folks that go and, and check on them and calling for emergency services should those folks need it, just that simple check-in can save lives. So build these communities and know your community before the disaster hits and uh, you can all work together more effectively when it does. 
You're absolutely right, because the resources can be spread among the community. I may have food and you may have air conditioning, so it all works out. Joe, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I was just going to echo what Kyle was saying and and to add to that, you know, when when it's a heat emergency, it's a, a winter emergency, it's flooding, it's an earthquake, you name it, you know, the the infrastructure that we all count on cell phones, internet, et cetera, is still pretty frail overall, and we are heavily reliant on it. So the the uh, grassroots efforts that uh, Kyle was describing, I think are incredibly important to be able to, you know, reach out not only to your neighbors, but that may be your sole source of communication uh, for, for some period of time. And make sure that as you plan for these events, you keep that in mind, that you may not can rely on the web to take care of things for you. Absolutely. What are your thoughts, Jamie? Well, I think that everybody's had just great points on this, and and that's kind of why I asked that question originally to Becky about messaging and stuff. It's it's. It's understanding what the, the challenges are going to likely be for a given event and going through and and messaging people to be prepared for those eventualities and and what to expect. And yeah, you know, sometimes I think we, we wrongly assume in disaster preparedness that, well, everybody's been through one of these before. Um, but as we've said so many times on the show, every situation and every hurricane and every tornado and every storm event and whatever else we want to talk about are different um, from the last one in some way. And there's just different situations that revolve around each one. And um, we, we need to be prepared for each individual event uh, equally. Yes, and some people don't take things seriously because they haven't been in a serious emergency. They don't assume they ever will be, and that is not good thinking. Joe, thoughts? Yeah, one other thing to add to uh, what Kyle mentioned earlier, uh, particularly as I think about uh, the descriptions that are often put out to uh, a wider audience on things like heat illness and cold injury and all that sort of stuff. It it sounds very much uh, in the descriptions like uh, they're they're very distinct stages, and you just sort of magically move from one stage to the next. And my point here is that all of these environmentally based illnesses are are all very much a continuum. And that, uh, you know, folks move subtly from uh, being able to compensate and poorly compensate and not compensate. And that, uh, you know, if you wait until you get some of these very apparent, obvious findings, you're, you're, you're pretty far behind the eight ball already. So pay very close attention to the, the subtleties of those changes. Excellent words, Joe. Well, obviously, in 30 minutes, we're not going to cover every disaster. We didn't specifically touch on tornadoes. But, you know, in general, if you know, you should know what kind of disasters could find you wherever you happen to live. You know, we've said a thousand times, and I know Becky would agree with this, have a no weather radio or some means of getting accurate information. You may or may not have the ability to get it. Uh, online or on social media, and you can't trust all of it either. So 
listen to those warnings. Uh, in, in wildland fires, if they tell you to evacuate, then evacuate. Um, it, you know, I think it comes down to just use common sense and prepare for an evacuation. Have a go kit. Uh, as the summer gives us stuff to talk about. Right, Jamie? Absolutely. And um, it, it's it's been a good episode to kind of just cover some of the things we expect to see and, and cover uh, you know, the, the typical weather things that you're looking to happen over the course of the summer and into the fall as, as that rolls around. Um, and I think we've kind of given people a good um, bit of things. I've got a bunch of links to throw out to the episode in the show notes, so that'll be fun. Um, you know, Joe, I know you've been super busy um, with, with a lot of different things, and you've got some things coming up. Any, any good training events coming up for Paragon in the next little while? Uh, we just did a thing in Tucson, Arizona for, uh, the military guys. Again, we'll have uh, another one of those, although obviously that's a bit of a limited audience, uh, several things in the pipeline, uh, all around the Southeast and Midwest. Uh, and, uh, I'll, I'll have to just keep you posted on those. They're still in development. Fantastic. Um, yep. if folks want to get some access to, um, your customized, you know, training that you can really put together exactly what a system needs based on their specific situation. Um, how can they get in touch with you? Well, we love to talk about folks about all that we have to offer. They can find us on the web at paragonmedicaleducationgroup.com or on Facebook at Paragon Medical Group, or they can always reach us at the Disaster Podcast. Excellent. Um, Becky, where can folks find out what you've been up to? Uh, folks can find me over on Twitter at WX underscore Bex. You may need to request to follow if you are not, because I'm a private account, uh, LinkedIn, or the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. Excellent. Dan, how about you? You can find me on Twitter at WX Depot, D-E-P-O, uh, LinkedIn, and also the uh, Disaster Podcast Facebook group. Happy to connect on any of those platforms. Fantastic. And, of course, the Weather Squatch. We're, it's great having you here tonight, Kyle. Oh, thanks Yay. so much, Jamie and and Sam. Uh, folks, uh, if you want to connect with me, uh, you can find me on all major social media platforms under the handle WX Kyle Nelson. Follow along with the uh, latest adventures there and be sure to reach out to continue the conversation. And last but not least, Sam. Well, since I'm last, uh, every I'll, you'll find me where you find everybody else, pretty much, uh, under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11. What about the pod medic? Well, you said it. Look for me under the handle Podmedic in most social media locations out there. And uh, I do hope you'll check in with us at disasterpodcast.com. Don't forget you can subscribe using the links right below the audio player on every episode page. So I hope you'll do that. And uh, look for us for upcoming episodes. We've got a lot coming up over the summer. And that doesn't even count the special episodes we do when disaster does strike. So um, you'll have to keep in touch with us and follow what we're doing. Um, good episode, Sam. I'm glad we kind of picked up on this as, as summer rolls in over the coming week, uh, officially, and, um, and we have our first full week of summer. Indeed. It sure feels like it out here. Um, yeah, I like the generalized conversation we had because we discuss things that are germane to any disaster. So know what goes on in your area. Be generally prepared to leave if you have to. And pay attention to what's going on. Be prepared. <laughs>